Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Wow. I was uh, talking to my wife. We were riding in, going someplace the other day, and things in the church have changed so much. Hallelujah. Somebody's excited. But somewhere on the line, the church... (laughs) The the church has got to become radical again. I I just think we got the, you know, the greatest show in town. (laughs) And the difference between our show and the world's show is ours is eternal. And and theirs is short-lived. And it's... uh, I mean, when you get caught up in what was just taking place right here, it's just hard. Which direction do we, do we move now? You know what I'm saying? Because I, I believe that the church has lost their identity in a lot of, in a lot of fashions, a lot of ways. And uh, we've allowed the, the system to so overtake us that we, we've kind of lost sight of uh, our purpose. And... Uh, I jotted down some things the other day, and I, that I, that I, I looked at some things the other day that I jotted down a while back, and uh, one of the questions is, what has happened to the church? Because according to the Gallup polls, the church in the United States is at an all-time low. Our attendance, our, our influence, our involvement, and... Uh, we're seeing churches fall apart. We're seeing churches change their theology to accommodate their, their constituency or accommodate their, their, their circumstances or situations. You know, we want to be accepted so much we're willing to lay aside what the Bible says and create a whole new mindset according to the world system. And, uh, you know, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says, Nevertheless, I have something against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. I wrote down, have we become more concerned with our political correctness than we are with the word of God? Do we care more about the color of a person's skin than the person themselves? Why is it that we want people's approval more than God's as a church these days? How is it that we pride ourselves in the tolerance of sin, but we justify our unwillingness to live righteously? If God's grace is sufficient, then why aren't more Christians living victoriously? When did the church lose its identity and become a religion rather than a relationship with God? I wrote down this. They, the church has lost sight of God. The church has lost sight of their purpose. The church has lost sight of their authority. The church has, become a, has made a decision to compromise. And anything you do not understand the purpose of, you will abuse it. So we compromise. Our core values cannot be compromised in order to accommodate circumstances. We know 1 Samuel 15, 22, 23 says that to obey is better than sacrifice. 
Isaiah 1, 18, 19 says, if we're willing and obedient, then we shall enjoy the, the blessings that are in the land. It's just something place that the church has, has moved to that place. Our, our, you know, the word compromise cannot be in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love, yes. Forgiveness, yes. But we cannot compromise the word of the living God. We know that the church is driven by acceptance more than by purpose these days. When you're driven by acceptance, you create an atmosphere that will devalue your purpose. It will compromise will, before, it will compromise and will become your master. We want to be accepted so much that our acceptance is ruling and reigning over our lives. Purpose-driven people create value and increase their ability to influence others. Acceptance-driven people are driven by emotion. Purpose-driven people are driven by creativity. Say, so why did you write those things down? Because we're here to celebrate at Christmas time. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to the book of Luke chapter 2. We want to talk about from a different perspective than we did last week. Last week, we looked at it from the, the Magi standpoint of the wise men and how they came to Jesus as a little boy in a house. Here in the book of Luke, we want to talk about how when Jesus was born and birthed and why, and why he came into the world. And uh, as we look at the scriptures, we begin to have to begin to uh, question ourselves. I love what Genuine uh, was saying, and Minister Genuine was saying from the standpoint that, the, you know, that, that Jesus is a, is a lion that roars. Amen. Pastor Aaron was talking earlier about that. We, you know, let's not lose sight of what Christmas is really all about. It's Jesus. But the question is, who is Jesus to us? You know, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's difficult at times because we, we, we have different roles with Jesus, you know. And I'm, I'm always amazed because, you know, that we have a, a white Jesus, a black Jesus, an Asian Jesus. Let me say this to you. Jesus is whatever color you want him to be to you. So don't get hung up with color. He's the Savior. Amen. So I always get hung up with that. You know, what, what are the colors? There is no color in the kingdom of God. We're one in Christ Jesus. We're all creating the image and likeness of God. And so, it, but we've allowed that to creep into the church. We saw several years ago how the church was affected by everything that was going on in our society and the, in the, in the, in the, in the racism, the way it came in and divided the church in such a way and instead of it should put the church together and say, we're going to stand together and not allow the outside world to come in and interfere. But we allowed it to divide us and saw the church divided and scattered and, and it's And it's sad. Because I've seen it on all sides and in every, in every culture. So the question is, when we talk about the birth of Christ, who is Christ to you? We, we know in the second chapter of the, of the, of the book of Luke, we, we, we look at this and we see where Joseph, he, he, you know, he went from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth of Judea to the city of David which he called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the lineage of David to register with Mary his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him. And, and, and I'm, always, I'm, I'm always amazed when I, I look at some of these things as I, I see that because 
our, our, our mindset, and, and, and the church has allowed this to happen. Uh, number one, we, we need to look at several things. Let's talk about the birth of Christ for a moment. Because we, we've got Jesus that was born by a virgin who had been conceived by the Holy Spirit in her. They are in a place that, and we always like to write all the stuff about no room at the end, but let, let, let's go into the stable a minute. Let's look at it for what it is. It says that they had Jesus and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Let's just take a quick moment with that. Now, our concept is we've got Jesus wrapped up in a bunch of rags laying in this feeding trough. Come on, let, let, let's be honest. You know, because we don't understand what swaddling clothes are. Number one, traditionally, they are strips of cloth, very fine cloth. Very, very, it, it's not something that you just grab what you've got and wrap the baby with, number one. Number two, the cloth as it was set and it was cut in strips for the baby to be born, it, it said that in the different colors and things according to tradition, it established who that child was. That when they wrapped the child, they would wrap the child completely to the point that you could only see the eyes of the child. Hello. I mean, we got baby Jesus going all over the place in churches, don't we? I mean, it's amazing to me how we do. We, we just don't. But you say, why am I going with this? Because it's important to understand that Jesus, according to tradition, he was royalty. They was recognized as royalty. When they took him in, they had special claws with them. So when he was born, when they wrapped him, they would take and put salt in that, which represented royalty. They would wrap him up and bind him up to the point that they couldn't even move their little arms or legs. And so it was done in such a fashion that when it said when the shepherds came and saw him, it was a sign. It's important to understand that because when we talk about a sign, it, it, it established the fact that this is the king. This is the son of God. This is who the prophets talked about. They didn't just come in and find some baby wrapped in a bunch of rags laying in a thing and go, wow, look, that must be Jesus. The second thing is the shepherds that are here. The shepherds that are here are not your typical shepherds. Again, historically, you have to go back and do some research here. But the shepherds were shepherds that were watching just any old sheep, but they were raising up the sheep that were being prepared for sacrifice at the temple. They were priests. These shepherds were priests. They weren't just some smelly shepherd out of the side who said, wow, let's go see this baby lying in this feeding trough all wrapped up in rags. We've heard from the angel, and we're going to go, and a sign to them is that you look at the way the baby is wrapped, and you'll know who it is. See, I think we need to understand there's a type and shadow here because the world is looking at the church and seeing how we're wrapped. And when they see how the church is wrapped, they know who we are. And if we wrap ourselves in the way the world system looks at us, then they don't identify us for who we are. But I got news for you, folks. We're not better than anybody else, but in Christ, we're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a holy nation that have been set forth for the praises unto him. 
And we sing these songs about the lion of Judah, but we act like we're the, we're the, the sheep of the pasture. Because the scripture refers to us as sheep, yes it is, but as individuals we identify with the Christ, the lion of Judah, who's greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Somewhere along the line, it tells me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, possibilities are always available in my life if I'll not get caught up in circumstances and realize that no matter how difficult it may be, possibilities are still available. We talk about valley raised up and mountains made low. It's funny. We go through valleys in life. The 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But you do understand that you grow a lot more in the valley than you can on the mountaintop. What does it mean? In the most difficult times, you can be the most productive. You're more productive in difficult times than you are when you're sitting on the mountaintop looking at the sunset. Ooh, my, 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 my. So when we sing songs like we've got, we've got to begin to realize that it, it, this is something that as, as people of God in this season we're in, we've got to really let people see who Christ is in us. And that's not by being foolish and it's not by being, you know, just kind of crazy religious. But I'm talking about the life we live and the way we treat people and, and, and the way we respond to things. And, and you know, I, I, can, I can tell you I don't compromise the word of God, but I don't have to beat you over the head and tell you how wrong you are. I found out a long time ago that if I'll just do what's right, right eventually proves what's wrong anyway. I have no desire to correct someone. I have no desire to judge someone. I have no desire to go out and tell somebody how wrong they are. Let me just live what's right. And then it becomes fascinating. You've heard me talk about several weeks ago that we were out on the golf course. I was with Teddy Shuttlesworth and we were on a golf course playing golf and they put this guy with us because we only had two guys so they had a third person join us. And we were playing golf and in the second hole he just kind of lets out with a, you know, a bunch of F words and GD words and all of this stuff. And, you know. Got to the next hole and he hit his drive one way and he said another word that way. And, you know, cart girl comes around, he's, he's, he's getting liquored up, and that even makes it worse with his talking. You, know, you don't need to get liquored up playing golf, please, please. <laughs> so about the ninth hole, he looked at me on the ninth hole, and he said, I probably need to stop cussing around you, don't I? I hadn't said a word to him. He didn't know who I am. He didn't know I'm a minister. I just looked at him. I said, that's up to you, bud. He said, well, I've noticed you guys don't say anything like that. I said, well, we don't have to say stuff like that. So I still didn't tell him, well, I'm a minister. Let me, let me get my Bible. I got it in my back there. And I'm going to come out. Let me talk to you about it. I didn't do any of that. I just said, hey, whatever's in your heart, buddy. So we finished playing golf. And we got off the golf course. We're all walking out. And he comes up and shakes my hand. He says, I just need to ask you to forgive me. I mean, I really acted ugly all day, didn't I? I said, your call. Why? Because it's not my place. It's not my place to be offended. It's not my place to get all up in his face. It's my place just to live what's right before. It's funny how right always corrects a wrong. If we'll just live right. And the church has got to learn to get back to that principle of walking in righteousness. 
that God has called us to. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we got to understand that Jesus was declared his position by the way he was wrapped and the way he was closed. And it says that there were in the, the, in the same country shepherds living. And these shepherds were, they were the herds and fields they were taking care of were the ones that preparing the sheep for sacrifice. They were, they were priests. They were, that was their assignment, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And, and it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Behold, I I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. You can, by the way he is dressed... It will represent. And the way we, we handle ourselves as a church, what, what we clothe ourselves in and we call our Christianity or we, or we call our righteousness or we, or, or we, we like to call our, our, if you will, our uh, identity in Christ. It's how we clothe ourselves in our actions and the way we walk and the way we talk and the way we present ourselves. And the church has lost sight of that. We're identified with signs by the way we're clothed. And suddenly there were with the angel of multitude, a heavenly host praising God in the highest and saying glory to God in the highest and the earth and on earth peace. So it was the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go in Bethlehem. See this thing that has come out or that has passed, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning the child. Can I ask you something? How do you think these shepherds, or where did they get the influence in the community if they weren't the priests that were shepherding the others? Do you understand? They weren't, anybody, we were, we were, we were in Israel several years ago. A number, a number of years ago, back, and, and we were going out, and there was this shepherd guy that was out there. We put over showing the shepherds, and so we invited the shepherd on the bus. And I ran to the back of the bus because I, 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 I'd been there. I knew what was going on. When we got on the bus, he smelled so bad. Well, when you're outside living with the sheep, my wife has not forgiven me to this day. It's something we're working on, you know, before you have communion Christmas Day, that she'll forgive me. She says, I cannot believe you ran to the back of the bus and left me up there with, with this shepherd and all of these patients. It made me want to get sick and throw up. See, those kind of people, they don't influence you the right way. So the question is, who are these shepherds? They had to be people of influence. They weren't your typical shepherd. Historically, you've got to go back and study the Jewish traditions and laws and understand what was going on at the time. They were shepherds that understood when they saw the child wrapped the way he was, they knew exactly who he was because it was a sign to them that Jesus was who he said that he was. And I believe it's the way that we present ourselves or depend to the world system that we are who we say that we are. 
So when we look at this and, and, and we go through several things, it says, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard, seen, and it was told them. We, we see three basic things here. We see, number one, that the, the angel of the Lord made a proclamation of who Jesus Christ was. And we as a church are in a position that we have to begin to make sure that we are proclaiming who Jesus Christ is. I'm not trying to explain Jesus to anyone. I'm just telling them who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, period. He is the way, the truth, and the life, period. Uh, I, 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 you know, you say, well, you know, don't you think you have to kind of explain to people? No. If somebody is really interested, which I find out most people who don't want Jesus are people who really aren't interested in knowing the truth. Because without, without the Bible, let's go back and study history, and you find out that all history reports that, that he was born, that he died, he was resurrected, and, and they don't know where he went. History reports, a man lived, died, and was resurrected. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus after he was resurrected. I don't know about you, but that's guilty in any court in the land. Think about this a moment, folks. I don't have time to try and explain Jesus to someone who says, I don't want to believe in Jesus. You just don't want to believe history, and I'm okay with that. But be honest about it. It's not Jesus you don't believe in. You don't believe in history. And the reason you don't believe in history because if you had to believe in Jesus, your life would change, and you don't want to change. I have no problem with that, but don't lie to me. I remember sitting with a man on the plane, and he, he was going on and on about how intellectually he was and all of the above, and... He says, and you know, you understand, you, you Christians, you just don't get it. And he began to talk about his degrees and what he did and all of these things. And I finally looked at him. I said, well, let me ask you something. Have you read a Bible? He says, absolutely not. That's for ignorant people. I said, so you're an intelligent person who carries all of these degrees, who understands you have no business talking about something you've never studied. So who's ignorant? You're ignorant about what I'm trying to talk to you about and you're acting stupid now because you want to admit to the fact you've never done your study. He just looked at me. He says, nobody's talked to me that way. They have now. <laughs> you should have seen him. He got all of me. Then later on, he looked back. He says, you know what? You're right. I know because when you're right, you don't have to worry about telling everybody how wrong they are. <laughs> What's right is you've not done your homework. What's right is you're not studied. What's right is you don't know what you're talking about, but you've drawn a con and I asked him, I said, the question you have to ask yourself, sir, is why have you drawn that line in the sand and not done the research? And he just looked at me. He said, I just was always taught that, you know, religious people are crazy people and, and I've just never, I said, well, maybe you need to look in the mirror. And examine yourself. Say, so what are you saying to me, Bishop? I'm saying that we have a job to proclaim who Christ is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's my job. Mine is to make a proclamation. When I leave here today, the way I live, the way I talk, the way I act, it should make a proclamation of who I am. Who am I? I don't have to tell you that I'm a child of God or I'm a Christian. Just watch my life. If it doesn't depict that, then maybe I need to go back and work on my lifestyle. The way I treat people, the way I act towards people.
The second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture, it says after the angels proclaimed who Christ was, it said that the, the shepherds, they realized the angels came in a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And it says that when the angels had gone away from them, <clears throat> the, the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem and see what happened. It says, let's go and find this thing that they, they revealed to us, that they told us about, the revelation. Let's go find him for ourselves and let's exalt him. Let's lift up this. Let, 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 let's make sure this thing is known. Folks, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of telling people that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I'm not ashamed of telling people I believe in a living God. I, I, I'm not ashamed of telling people that being a Christian is the greatest thing on earth. I don't hide that. I, I, it's amazing to me. You know, when we go to, to places to eat and things, I always pray. Why do I do that? Because I'm afraid my food's going to kill me? No, because I want to always be a witness that God, I give honor to God for everything he's given me. I can't tell you growing up when our children, our kids were growing up, how many people would come by our table and go, I can't believe it's in there. And you prayed with your family for you ate. Man, we appreciate that. You don't realize when you begin to lift up and exalt God in every area of your life, people take notice. They take notice. The angels proclaimed him. The shepherds began to lift him up and exalt him. And then it said, they return glorifying and praising God. They return with a celebratory attitude. We need to learn how to celebrate I said we had to learn, and how this happened, I don't know. How we got to the place where the church was a place that's so quiet, nobody knows what's going on. I, I, I believe in, in holiness. I believe that there's a time of, 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 of being before the Lord in a, in a very holy attitude, in a more of a somber attitude in worship and praise. I believe in that with all of my heart. But we've gone from the one extreme where there was no celebration Sometimes it's just all celebration and there's no worship. And there's a fine line drawn there between the two. But folks, we've got to learn to celebrate. I, yeah, someone said to me once, they said, well, well, you know, how do we celebrate the Lord? I said, well, let me just sit down in your car a minute. They said, excuse me? I said, turn your radio on. Let's see what stations you got marked. Well, I'll find out whether or not you're celebrating God. Ooh. I'm not telling you you can't have on your music stations that you like. I'm not telling you you can't have on your talk things that you like to hear talked about. I'm not telling you that. But you'd think somewhere near there might be one station with gospel music on it. And you celebrate what? You see, we don't understand that the enemy has so crept in that we're no longer proclaiming what we say we believe in. We're no longer lifting Jesus up and exalting him. You know why? Because in our own personal life, there's no celebration. We want to come to church and let them lead us in celebration. Come on, stay with me, folks. We have to learn to celebrate him for ourselves. Whew. I love the fact that I'm married to a psalmist. And I prefer to sit at the piano and play and write songs and just play. I love that. Why? 
because it just brings a whole atmosphere. And if you don't have that in your house, if you don't, I can't say you can't have a psalmist, you can't have her, she's mine, you get your own. But anyway, <laughs> but what I'm saying is if you don't have music playing that, uh, that celebrates the presence of God, why do we wait to Christmas and then we do stupid stuff like Jingle Bells and We Three Kings of Orient are and none of them are scriptural? <laughs> Come on, folks. There's, there's some great uh, Christmas songs that are really talks about Jesus. It's a great deal. Amen. But I want you to leave here today as the Lion of Judah. I want you to leave here today proclaiming, <laughs> exalting, and celebrating who he is. I want you to leave this place today as we enter this next two weeks of, uh, of Christmas that any, anywhere and everywhere we go, we make an impact, not by being religious zealots, but by being the, the people that God has called us to be, by loving and caring and sharing and, and letting them see God in us. Letting him see God in our, in our lives and on the job and, and, and with our relationships and everything we do. Let, let them see. You want to know what Jesus looks like? Look at the person next to you and say, I'm supposed to see Jesus in you. Go on, tell them. That'll shake them up a little bit. What does Jesus look like? Look in the mirror. You tell me. As he is, we shall be like him. We're being changed from glory to glory into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day we should look a little more. I said just a little more like him. I realize this has been different these two weeks, but I just want to talk about things. Jesus is our king. He's He's the king of Israel. We know that, but king of the Jews. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is a sovereign king. He cannot be measured. His love cannot be confined. It is limitless. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He's totally steadfast, and he's immortally graceful. Who is Jesus? He's imperially powerful and he's in, he is, Jesus is the greatest phenomenon that the world has ever seen. He is impartially merciful. Who is he? Jesus is God, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He's a center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. Who is Jesus? He's unprecedented. He's unparalleled. He, he is the, the loftiest idea of literature, the highest personality of philosophy. He, he's the fundamental, fundamental of doctrine and theology, and he's the only one qualified to be all-sufficient savior. Who's Jesus? Jesus, he supplies strength to the weak and always available to be to the attempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He upholds, he sustains. He will guard and he will guide. He will heal and he will cleanse. He will forgive the sin and restore the sinner. He will meet your need according to his riches. He steps or sets the captive free and defends the feeble. Who's Jesus? He's the one that blesses the children. He will serve the unfortunate. He will comfort the aged. He will reward the diligent, but he gives beauty for ashes that the enemy has 
tried to bring destruction with. Who is he? He's the key of knowledge. He's the well of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, and he's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway to righteousness and the highway to holiness. He's the gateway to glory. Who is Jesus and have you met him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes and his word is eternal. His grace is more than sufficient and he reigns in righteousness. He says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's indestructible. He's, he's incomprehensible to the natural mind. He's unforgettable once you have met him. When you hear his name, you cannot get him out of your mind and cannot understand your life without him. The Bible says we cannot live without him. We know that Satan envied him. The Pharisees could not understand him. Religion could not stop him. Pilate could not find fault in him. Herod could not kill him. Death could not keep him and grave could not hold him. <laughs> Who's Jesus? Oh, Jesus, he was the one that Judas sold, the one that Peter denied, the one that Thomas doubted. But he was the one the apostle Paul celebrated. And John, the revelator, had a revelation of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, seated, seated him on his throne. See, the, the question in this season is who do we say that Jesus is? Who is he? I would like to suggest to you that Jesus is the son of God who died on a cross, shed his blood for the sins of humanity. I want to suggest to you as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let's celebrate the reason for his birth, which was our ultimate salvation. Let's take this season as a church to be like a church that we've never been before. Let's begin to build the history in this community of a living Christ that can never be denied. Not because of this building, but because of this building. We didn't gather here today to play religion. Hopefully we gather here today to be inspired to be everything that God has created us to be. When I hear them recruiting, you can be all you want to be. No, that's not just the armed forces. They got that from the Bible. You can be all God wants you to be if you allow Jesus to truly be the Christ, the Son of the living God that you have received into your heart to become your Lord and your Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I've taken this time today because I felt like we as a church need to take some time and historically look at things examine things. I'm, I'm as guilty as the next pastor that nothing do I like better than to get messages that I can cause people to walk. I go, wow, what a great message. 
The problem is, after all the years of ministry I've been in, I found a lot of people walk out saying, what a great message, but they don't know what the message is about. They get inspired with points and ideas and thoughts, but they lose sight of the foundation of all messages, which is Jesus. Without him, messages mean absolutely nothing. But in Christ... He can make messages become the most outstanding things in our lives that become living realities for us. When I think through the years, of all the years of ministry, how many thousands upon thousands of thousands of messages I've preached. But I can look back through the years and I'll be honest with you, I can put my hand just on a few hundred people who understood that did something with the message. Oh God, let our lives so count that people can see the foundation that all things are built upon. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.